Okay, hi everybody. This is Rabbi David Foreman. I am joined today with uh, Rabbi Ami Silver. Ami, you there? Hi, Rabbi Foreman. Hi, everybody. So we are back here with episode number three in our continuing look at the structure of Shemana Esrei. We've been looking at the intermediate brachot, and I've been playing uh, kind of color commentator um, to a theory that uh, uh, Ami has kind of been developing here uh, regarding the meaning um, of these intermediate blessings. And what we want to do today is see if we can uh, play a kind of connect the dots episode here with you. Um, Ami has begun to sketch out only the very start of a theory. Uh, he suggested that the first of these intermediate blessings, dot, harks in some way back to the uh, story of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that's kind of what we've talked about in the last couple episodes. If you uh, are jumping in now and are just hearing this, this is a good time to go back and to listen to those early episodes. But what I'm going to do during this episode, Ami, with your permission, is I'm going to do a little bit of role playing. I'm going to play your skeptical neighbor. Okay. Just imagine that Ami has kind of discovered this theory. He's excited to tell somebody about it. And I am Ami's rather skeptical neighbor. Um, I'm not giving. I didn't to... break the garden fence. It's been like that for weeks. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's right. So I'm not a mean neighbor in that kind of way. I'm not an unkind neighbor. I'm only skeptical, right? I'm. I, I think Ami's a great guy. I just worry about him sometimes. You know, he seems to come up with these theories. They seem to be very grand. They seem to be spiritually ecstatic. I, I just feel that the guy sometimes needs to be brought down to earth a little bit. He's been talking to me about this notion that Shmona Esrei has something to do with the Garden of Eden. I'm thinking, Ami, I don't know. I mean, it's true. I see I see this idea of, of Dat. I see this idea of Adam. Adam. I see this notion that you're arguing that maybe God would have given Adam the tree freely, uh, but he, he didn't actually do that. But frankly, you know, Ami, if I had to bet my house, if the, you know somebody just kind of put me double or nothing and said, uh, Foreman, you know, take your house's value uh, and double or nothing, we're going to dial upstairs to the Lord Almighty himself and we're going to ask him, God, is this really true about Shemana Esrei? Or we're going to ask the composers of the Shemana Esrei. We're going to ask some sort of authoritative source. Were you thinking about the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Now, I, I want to say also, uh, in terms of skeptical neighbor, which is that, Ami, I'm not even clear exactly on your theory yet. Okay, In other words, mm -hmm. I see that you see a single illusion, illusion with an A, and I hope it's not illusion with an I, mm -hmm. right? You see a single allusion to the Garden of Eden in, in Atachon and Laramdat, but a single allusion does not a theory make, right? So I'm skeptical on, on, on two counts. I don't even know if your single allusion is right. And where are you going as you go forward? Now, the way that Ami is going to be able to satisfy a guy like me, skeptical neighbor, is he's going to have to play connect the dots with me. He's going to have to show me a pattern that at a certain point becomes not just head-scratchingly maybe, but it's like, I can see that, and then goes from I can see that to... You know what? I don't know. There's like three dots in that pattern. There's four dots in this pattern. There's five dots in that pattern. At a certain point, this it's, it starts to become 
more likely than not. At a certain point, I'm going to want to bet my house to double my money because it really seems incontrovertible. Now, what's going to happen as Ami shows me that is kind of two things at once, at least in an ideal world. This is what we're going to be looking for, which is in an ideal world, you're going to A, advance the science of the theory by showing more and more dots that correlate it. But as you show those dots, you're not actually only going to be advancing the science of the theory, you're also going to be advancing the meaning of the theory, mm -hmm. right? Which is like what it all means. Because the more dots you show me, not only will you succeed in establishing a pattern, but there'll be more reference points for the meaning of that pattern. So as Ami continues in this, right, where even though our eye is going to be on like, okay, so... It, does this pattern seem more reliable? Even though our eye is going to be on the science of it, there's also going to be significant stuff which, if he's right, impacts the meaning of it as well. So we're going to kind of go back and forth, Ami. We're going to try to talk about uh, advancing the theory. That's going to be our overt focus. Advancing the science of the theory. Does Is this thing on really solid ground or not? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we're also, out of the corner of our eye, going to try to pay attention to, if you're right, what are the implications of what it is that you're seeing? Mm -hmm. Okay? Sounds like a like a formidable challenge, oh, neighbor. Okay. You're not going to get all <laughs> insulted with me if I start being your skeptical neighbor, right? Well, we live next door to each other, so I hope things are okay after this conversation one way or another. <laughs> That's true. I guess so. Well, it feels like we live right, right, right next to each other through the magic of technology. Okay, so with no further ado, Ami, uh, you, you know, you've talked to us about Atachonan Laram Dat Umlamed Bina. We talked about this prayer, Chonenu Meitcha Dea Bina Vaskel, and then we talked about God as Chonen Hadat. And as skeptical neighbor, I'm thinking, Ami, that this is all very nice. Feels like a flight of fancy. Can you give me another dot to connect? Show mm -hmm. me where this theory is going. Okay, um, great. So we started looking at Atachon in Adam Dat, and we're saying maybe, perhaps, this is referring to what was going on over there with the Tree of Knowledge, the misuse of Da'at, the inappropriate way that, that Adam and Eve first related to, to God's gift of knowledge by taking it, and then maybe offering what I would say is maybe a reparative motive of relating to, to God and to, to the da'at that God grants us by saying this is a gift. So that's, that's what we've been exploring. So let me ask you something. If we are, in fact, dealing with some tree of knowledge material, and we want to go back and think back to when Adam and Eve took that fruit and ate from it, what was the next thing that happened? Well, the next thing that happened after we ate from the fruit, I mean, it depends what you mean by next. I mean, we ate from the fruit. Let's just tell the story. The of, <laughs> so just, we heard the voice of God walking, strolling through the garden in the afternoon mm -hmm. by the Luruah Hayom. We mm -hmm. were scared. Mm -hmm. We hid behind something or other. Mm -hmm. God called to us, said, Ayeka, where are you? We said, we're hiding. We're scared. Mm -hmm. We're naked. Uh, God then says, who told you you're naked? Uh, did you perchance eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? Mm -hmm. God kind of figures it out and then dispenses a whole bunch of punishments. Uh, the snake has to crawl on the ground. Adam has to work by the sweat of his brow 
the the earth woman suffers pain and childbirth death all around mm-hmm. everyone gets kicked out of the garden god sets up two angels to guard the way back to the tree of life and we have left the garden that's pretty much the story that's a, that's a really good recap so i want to want to go back to to those beginning steps that ensue following the the eating from the tree like you said god comes looking for us and and uh for us, the, the first human beings and Adam and Eve, and, and they're hiding in the tree. So I'm going to read this, these next words for you of the next brach and the Shemona Esri, and let's see if it, if it reminds us of anything here. Hashivenu avinu malkenu Right? Um, simply put, re- return us, Father, to your Torah, to your teaching. Vikarvenu malkenu and bring us close um, our king to your service, and return us in complete return or restoration or repentance, depending on how you want to translate that term, before you. Blessed are you, God, who desires tshuva, who desires our return to you. So I want to just focus for a moment on the the verbs that are used here, the things that we're asking for. Hashivenu, right? Bring us back. Karvenu, bring us close. Hachzirenu, b'tshuva, return us. And we're very used to these words being kind of religious terms for how we relate to God, repenting, um, restoring the relationship, fixing mistakes, like tshuva. But if we're very literal about these me- the meanings of these words, what does hashivenu mean, Rabbi Foreman? Return us, literally to return. And return implies what exactly? If I'm asking you to return me, what does that imply? Sounds like I was somewhere once that I wanted to get back to. Mm -hmm. So if I understand you, I'm not sure if I understand your point here, but tell me if this is where you're going. Mm -hmm. That even though on some level in modern Hebrew parlance, right, we would use the word return in the sense of tshuva. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. Uh, but it more literally means to return to a place. Mm-hmm. And if, in fact, you're right that blessing number one, not to Hanan Ladam Dat, refers to such a place, i.e., the place of Eden from which we were just exiled, then perhaps we can discern in blessing two a prayer to return to that place. If I'm not mistaken, Hashivenu well, let's, let's let's look at a few different terms. You're you're okay. you're in the right in the right ballpark. The next verb, the next form, the thing we're asking is karvenu, which means bring us close, implying I'm not so close right now. I'm a little distant from you, right? So hashivenu mm-hmm. is saying I was in a certain place and now I'm somewhere else. Karvenu is implying I'm distant right now, and hachzirenu similarly means to to return, right? Hachzir to bring back. Mm-hmm. Similarly, implying I was somewhere, I'm now elsewhere. And what is it that we're being asked to, being brought back to? Which, once again, in a kind of figurative speech, means to you in relationship with you. But what does mean literally, Rabbi Foreman? Uh, before you or in your face. In your face. Return us in a complete returning restoration to your face. So if our first bracha is potentially dealing with the eating from the tree, and this next bracha is talking about 
wanting to be brought back somewhere, wanting to be brought close to something, wanting to be returned to face you, could that in some way be referring to what Adam and Eve in fact did right after they ate from the tree? Because what happened? As we said, God comes, their, God's voice comes strolling through the garden. And what do they do? They basically turn around and hide. And I want to read to you some of the, the words that, that are used there. I'm going to read from um, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. They're hearing the voice of God walking through the garden by the Spirit of the day. Adam and his wife, they're hiding Mipnei, God. Here too, figuratively speaking, Mipnei means they're hiding from God. But if we want to be pretty literal here, they're hiding from what part of God, Rabbi Foreman? God's face. God's face. And in our bracha, when we're asking to be returned to, to be brought close to, to be restored. We're asking to be restored to where? To God's face. To God's face. So I'm not asking you to sell your house yet. But what I would ask you uh, is, would it make sense, you think? Is there a little bit of an echo here, potentially? So in other words, what? Is, let me just make sure I, I understand you correctly. Mm-hmm. There could be an echo here, which is that mm-hmm. what you're saying is that immediately after we took from the tree and did not allow God to be honen da'at, to, to freely give us knowledge, mm-hmm. the next thing we did is we hid. Mm-hmm. And it sounds almost like we're asking for a do-over on that, like we wish... We didn't do that. We realized the consequences of hiding. Mm-hmm. The consequences of hiding was that we turned away from you. We weren't around you. In other words, if I could extrapolate this, you seem to be saying in terms of focusing on this moment, even in the garden, is that this was a proto-exile. Almost like before even we were kicked out of Eden and banished from God's face, so to speak, we ourselves exiled ourselves in as much as we hid from God, forcing God to ask where we were in language, which, by the way, Aleph Yud Chaf for Ayeka, where are you, also doubles as Echa, which mm-hmm. is the classic lament of exile. Mm-hmm. Of course, Lamentations begins with the word Echa. So the very first exile wasn't even when we got kicked out of the garden which God does, it was what we hid from before God. And thinking about our hiding from God, we're saying, God, you know, take us back, almost like we wish we didn't hide. We hid from your face, right? Bring us back to that possibility of walking. Right. right. I, I would be even more, uh, you know, I was trying pointing out those verbs there. It's not bring us back figuratively even as much as it's literally turn me around to face you. Uh-huh. Right. So we, like Adam and Eve, the, Adam and Eve walked away and hid themselves uh-huh. away in a tree, and they're in, in a sense not not able to face God. And here it's saying, right. "Bring me close, return me to you." Re- if I understand you correctly, you're saying, "Return me," not just in the sense, right? A generally means chuva, but even besides that, not even the sense of direction that I'm walking north, bring you back south, but also in terms of I'm facing. The, the other direction. So turn me around, mm-hmm. right? right? Because I have chosen to walk away from you. So help me face you so that I am, I am now facing you. Blessed is God who is pleased or who, 
who looks kindly upon return. And return there would mean the ability of man who, having walked away and shown your back to God, says, no, I want, I'm willing to face you instead. Mm-hmm. In a sense, I just have to put myself in Adam and Eve's shoes for a moment. They realize at that moment, God says, who told you you're naked? Right. They realize that they broke the one rule of the garden. And yes. Adam says, well, I heard your voice and I was afraid and I hid. When when somebody does what they're told not to do and then they're caught and they hide, what do we call that? The emotion that makes them hide. Shame. When they're burying their face, they're they're ashamed. And, and even though, by the he, way, Adam doesn't speak of shame, he speaks of fear. He doesn't speak right. of shame. Well, Right. Well, we do, fearful. well, we do see earlier before the whole story is introduced, right before the, the snake approaches, approaches Eve, there's the discussion of Adam and Eve being naked, and they have no Correct. embarrassment. And after eating from the tree, they're aware of their nakedness and they're hiding themselves, which right. seems to be a setup of, oh, the embarrassment is starting to kick in. Now, you might say it's embarrassment of physical nudity, but it's not far-fetched to think that there's a degree of shame that they're that they're trapped in at this moment all said when we get to the end of this brach and we said god, god let me turn around and face you and then we call god in my mind so that, if i if i understand yeah. where you're going here what you're saying mm-hmm. is is that when we ask god to help us turn around mm-hmm. we're also asking him to help us deal with the emotions that don't let me turn around that impede exactly. my ability to turn around, which are, I would say, are two, which are shame and fear. Mm-hmm. And specifically, I would say in the face of nakedness, in the sense that I would go so far as to say that when I am naked, I either feel vulnerable because I'm naked, or part of my vulnerability and part of my shame and fear is that there's a uh, there's an intimacy associated with being naked. And what I and what I'm really nervous about is shame and fear about intimacy. And mm. if I have sinned, then I truly fear and shame intimacy, right? The same way that if you can imagine a husband and wife, right? That that if there is a sense of sin, a sense that I've I haven't done right by you, that one of the things that might get in the way of intimacy between them is a sense of shame that mm-hmm. I have this hidden secret. And so how could I be intimate with you? And therefore I fear and I'm shameful about intimacy. And those are the things which make me turn a cold shoulder to you. So too, when God lovingly invited us to go walking in the garden, even after he knew that we sinned, but we weren't ready for that because we were naked and scared mm-hmm. or naked and shameful. Mm-hmm. So what we're really saying is, God, it ain't so easy to turn around. It's scary to turn around when you've sinned. We're asking for your help. And the way we look for that help is if we can get a cognizance of this blessing says that that you would be pleased with our turning towards you. Mm-hmm. That itself can give us the confidence to try. Because mm-hmm. one of the greatest things that I'm afraid about when I've turned away from you, when I've given you a cold shoulder, when I have a fear of intimacy or a shame of intimacy, now not only do I have fear and shame which caused me to turn away, but now I have something else riding on that, which makes it even harder, which is I have spurned you. 
I have scorned you. I've turned my back on you. I don't deserve for you to love me anymore because I turned away from you. So above and beyond the shame and fear that I feel, I now have the responsibility for my having turned away from you. And I've insulted you by turning away. So now I fear something else. There's a meta fear, which is if I would turn back to you, would you even accept me? Mm -hmm. Right. And the Mm -hmm. first thing that I can that would allow me to feel like I could be accepted is if I could be assured that you are harotzeh b'tshuva, that you would not scorn my attempt to turn towards you. So then maybe I could deal with my demons mm-hmm. and turn towards you. So so I, I, I want to add to this, what might give me the confidence or even relief to say, God, you truly are you truly are well, at the end of the, the final analysis at the end of the day you you desire my closeness with you you're not out to get me right adam yes. and eve were pretty sure no we can't turn and face you right now you don't want that and we can't bear that well i think it starts in the previous bracha we're starting off on a different foot we're starting off with the basic recognition which according to our reading is both stating that God desires fundamentally to share Da'at with us, to share this kind of creator knowledge with us, and th- channeled through Malamed Enosh Bina, the way that, that I was reading those psukim and the reference of Enosh is, if I am to appropriately use my creative abilities in the way that God gives it to me, and it helps me retain a relationship with God, and so then we end up by saying, let, it, let the knowledge, the understanding, the insight, all of those powerful tools of our, of our intellect and our creative abilities be me'itcha. Let us continue to receive them from you, God, who is chonin hadat. So if I go back to that beginning step, the next step I can take from there is, and you know what? <laughs> you know what? You, God, who who have this loving, giving relationship with me, and I'm trying to be faithful to that relationship, well, maybe I can also now turn around and face you with the understanding that you do desire this relationship. I don't need to hide my face away. It could be that I've made mistakes, that I haven't been faithful to this relationship, but I'm ready to begin to start to to repair that fundamental place where where I meet my creator. So if I understand you correctly, what you're saying is, is that the previous blessing helps give me the confidence that if I wanted to turn to you, I could. Why? Because you're not the javelin-throwing, white-bearded God who delights in the suffering of mortals. You're the chonin Dat. You're the God who wanted to freely give wisdom to us. We were wrong to assume that you were the God who wanted to keep all wisdom to yourself, which is really the snake's argument, mm-hmm. that God knows that on the day that you eat from it, you'll become just like him, and he's jealously guarding his knowledge. He doesn't want you to have that. That's not true. You're the chonin Dat, and therefore the same way that we realized that we perhaps were mistaken to have grabbed for that knowledge you were going to give it to us anyway and we could trust in your kindness the same way that we can understand that it may have been a mistake we can also understand that now that the mistake has been made we could turn towards you and we wouldn't be rejected 
Also, the other thing I would just add is, given the fact that the last thing that happened when we turned away from God was God knew we had sinned, but wanted to go walking with us, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And hence, God wasn't the God who would spurn us. That's the proof that God is harotzeh bitshuva, mm-hmm. right? That God can stand the fact that we have sinned mm-hmm. and still maintain a relationship with him. So I hear you. Second bracha, the possibility of saying, uh, the God who would accept us turning towards him. I do have more to say about this, and, and I have a whole other layer that I want to introduce here. But in the interest of playing your skeptical neighbor and allowing us to connect dots, I'm going to hold myself back. I can say to you, okay, Ami, that's kind of interesting. I hear you. That That's intriguing. Tell me more. Right? Okay. Can you show me a third dot? And this unfolding picture, bring me into the next blessing and show me how that folds into us. Okay, so so neighbor, you remember we talked about what happened after eating from the tree. They hid. And then God says, did you eat from the tree? And what did Adam and Eve say then? Well, they engaged in a classic blame the other guy scenario. A wonderful blame game. A wonderful blame game. I go so far as to argue that this is the first marital fight in known history, Mm. right? Where Eve throws Adam under the bus by offering him the fruit surreptitiously, and Adam throws Eve under the bus by blaming her for having done it, ignoring his own culpability and taking it, mm-hmm. and actually having the audacity to blame God for actually giving him Eve in the first place. Exactly. It's all your fault. That woman right. that you gave me, she's the one who gave me. So if it ain't her fault, it's your fault, God. But the one thing I'm sure of... He can blame God and even the same time. It ain't his fault is me. Right, that I'm for sure, that we're right. sure about. So it's all the rest so of you. So, if I understand you correctly, what you're really saying is is that sin places us at a crossroads. Right, in the face of our own culpability, we have a choice to make, and the choice is either blame or contrition. Right, and mm-hmm. one way to deal with a sense of worthlessness that right, which is that if I feel worthless because I've sinned. So one way to deal with worthlessness is to just deny the thing that makes me worthless and pretend it ain't there. So if I didn't, mm-hmm. sin, if I if, if I sinned or if I could not have done anything but this, if I have no culpability, if I was the the pitiable victim of other forces, if I was the victim of my wife, if I was the victim of God, right? So then I slip into a self-pitying mess and I blame other people. And that's the way that I can combat this feeling of worthlessness. But I think where you're coming from is that there's another way to do it. And now you have blessing three building on blessing two, which in turn builds on blessing one, which is that if you look at God as the God who's chonein ladam dat, as a loving God who really wasn't in competition with you and wanted to give you something beautiful Mm -hmm. dot, and you just had to wait for it. And if when you turned away from God, you realized that maybe that wasn't so advisable either, that the God who loved you is also the God who would accept you back even if you sinned and wouldn't reject you, and that you could actually turn towards him, right? So then the ground is laid to say, 
that, you know what, there's another way to deal with my feeling of worthlessness. If I would actually look my culpability in the eye, my sin in the eye, and say, this is something that I have done, and I acknowledge it, that's sort of the next step after turning towards you, mm-hmm. right? Which So if I turn towards you and I face you, and then the next thing that I say is, you know, I realize that there's something here that I didn't do. But the same way that it takes trust on me for me to turn towards you, to just even feel that that act wouldn't be spurned, that you would at least give me enough time to turn towards you before you would yell at me that I could actually just do that and be safe. I can build on that and say, well, if it was safe to turn towards you, let me put another toe in these deep waters, Mm -hmm. these really scary deep waters of coming face to face with these very threatening feelings that maybe I'm just not worth anything and maybe I'm not worthy of your love anymore. Mm -hmm. And let me look you in the eye and say, you know what? If it's okay to turn towards you and you accepted me to do that, would it be okay if I actually admitted that I really did something that was inexcusable here? What would you do if I admitted that? Would you say, yeah, you idiot, right? And throw me away from you? Or do you think you could accept that? Mm -hmm. Because that's another path. If I could do that, if that could be accepted by you, I wouldn't have to blame in order to deal with that feeling of worthlessness. Mm -hmm. I could actually expiate it by you saying, you know what? People make mistakes. I can accept you, right? Even if you are flawed, even if you're terribly flawed. And that becomes slachlanu avinu kichatanu. Interestingly, Ami, notice how we refer to God. Look how we refer to God in our last blessing and look how we refer to him now. Right. right? In both of these blessings. So in both, well, yeah. right. But interestingly, whereas in blessing number two, right, how was I looking at God, God as king, Right? Well, first Avinu, first Avinu, and then I'm sorry, Lekanu. you're right. Ashivin Avin God as Father and King, mm-hmm. right? So, and we now get that again. You're right. Slachlon Avinu Kichatanu, Machalanu Kifashanu. Right. This notion that God is both Father and King. There is something scary about God. Mm-hmm. He's very powerful, right? But he's also our Father. He also loves us as a parent would, and hence we can dip our toes in the water and be able to to confront this possibility. So, right, that you would be open to that. And therefore, if I understand you correctly, where you're coming from in the language, look how beautiful the ending of Blessing 3 is. Baruch Hashem Chanun Right, so what do you see in that word Chanun there, Ami? Right, so here it's, it's, it's bringing it full circle. It's bringing us all the way back to to where we start to repair this relationship. Exactly. The fundamental reality of this relationship is that God loves me and wants to give to me and, and, and actually does give to me, is giving to me right now. And I'm I'm able and to walk into that relationship and take that opportunity to, to fully relate back to God. That's right. So if he is the Chonein, the one who wanted to give me this dot all along, and the one who even bestows me intelligence even now, then I can turn to him as the Chanun and say that I have faith about you, that you're not just the one who freely bestows wisdom, but that you would take kindly to me turning towards you. You would take kindly towards my 
coming face to face with the recognition of wrongdoing that I've done. And I would even go so farther to say, Ami, that perhaps this is the proper use of Da'at Tovara. If you think about a person properly using an understanding of right and wrong, what better way to use understanding right and wrong than to do the terribly wrenching spiritual work of looking at yourself Mm -hmm. and saying, do you know what? I think I failed at a certain benchmark. I think I did something wrong. The right thing to do here would be not to blame other people, but to be able to turn towards you and take the risk of admitting what it is that I've done, I turn to you as the Chanun, as the one who wanted to give me Tov and Ra, and to then say that my tshuva for you Mm -hmm. is to use this Mm -hmm. dot that I grabbed from you in the way that you would want me to, to be able to look at you and say, you know what, I think I did the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's how I want to use my understanding of right and wrong, mm-hmm. right? To hold myself to a standard and to be able to have the confidence that you could accept me anyway. Do you think you could accept my understanding of right and wrong as applied to me? Could that help patch things up? So I'm I'm hearing you, if I'm hearing you correctly, hearing you say that we start by saying, we're basically... Having taken from the tree illicitly, here's where we begin to to right those wrongs by recognizing God as the Chonin Ladam Da'at. And then in the ensuing bracha with our tshuva and with, with our turning to face God and with our taking accountability and actually calling out and admitting, acknowledging the places we've come up short, we're not just saying, okay, God will let me off the hook. We're actually utilizing the proper awareness of where we stand vis-a-vis God and the proper use of this da'at God has given us to bring ourselves back into alignment vis-a-vis God. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm talking about it and in talking about it, I'm actually also doing it. I'm not just saying nice words. I'm not just, you know, just appealing to please let me off the hook. I'm showing God that I'm ready to to enter into that relationship that God has intended for me all along. I I think that's right. And I see, so just to pull back to 50,000 feet, if I could uh, take a shot at summarizing the direction that your theory is going here, just in these first three dots, mm-hmm. right? What you seem to be saying is is that Chazal or the, the Miyaste Atfilo, those who put together this language and the prayers, are taking us through what we might call a counterfactual journey through ancient Jewish history, through biblical history. They're leading us through a what-if version of biblical events. This wasn't how things went. Things went badly. We took from a tree that we shouldn't have. And if that wasn't bad enough, we compounded that by hiding, by turning our backs, and we compounded that by blaming. And by the time we were done with those two acts, the self-imposed exile of turning away from God and hiding, plus the blaming right? The refusal to acknowledge what we had done when given the chance and what God Mm -hmm. says, so what's the deal here, Mm -hmm. right? At that point, we were actually exiled from the garden, right? Mm -hmm. And history, as we know it, began the history out of the garden. And now what we're kind of saying is, is that here we are in prayer to God, and we just happen to ask God to bestow us this kind of knowledge, We just happen to turn to God and say, do you think you could help us 
return. Do you think you could accept our sins? And what we're doing is we're sort of doing two things at once. We're asking God for something, right? For real things that people want. Mm-hmm. People want intelligence. People want the ability to discern right and wrong. They want mm-hmm. the ability to be able to use Dot and Bina in our lives. That's the most powerful thing that makes us human to have that ability to discern things, to be smart, to be capable in the world, to be morally knowledgeable. We want to have the ability to repair a relationship with you, to turn back towards you. We want to have the ability to say we're sorry about whatever we've done in our lives. And what we're doing when we pray is we're grounding our own personal desire for these things in a historical game almost mm-hmm. where we're going back to our earliest stories and imagining almost ourselves in those stories and asking ourselves what would it be like to replay this the right way mm-hmm. and in my own life as a personal individual in relationship with god when i'm asking you for these things i'm almost saying i feel like i can ask you these things because the way that you set up history was to put me in a place where I would need those things and want to go in that direction and want you to be able to help give those to me. You were willing to give me knowledge, give mankind knowledge all the way back in the garden. You were willing to allow him to turn to you. That's why you voice was in the garden even after you sinned after he sinned you were willing to accept chuva that's why you asked the question so what was the deal with the tree that you didn't dispense exile right away you were ready for me to say i'm sorry otherwise mm-hmm. that question what have you done doesn't make sense that was an invitation for slicha mm-hmm. so i see that there was a readiness on your parts for these things so i call upon you the god who's revealed yourself that way to help me with these three really important things in my life in 2019 that i need the power of dot in my life and the ability to make amends through the process of A, turning, and the process of B, tshuva. And just parenthetically, if I can just add one thing, I know I've been rambling for a little while here, but just to add one thing, is one of the things that I found personally touching in what you said, Ami, is something which I never really thought about before, which is the process of repentance is a two-step process, right? That it's not just about Vidui and just about confronting your sins and saying you were wrong, which is blessing number three. Mm -hmm. There's something that actually has to happen first, Mm -hmm. which is blessing number two, which is a willingness to turn around. And that willingness to turn around predates my willingness to say I'm sorry Mm -hmm. and predates my willingness to confront my sin. It's an earlier step, which is like if I'm in a fight with you, the first thing I have to do is I just have to stop showing you my back. Mm-hmm. I have to be willing to to look at you again. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to look at you. I have to turn around. It's something that you see beautifully, by the way, also. And I think we have a video on it even back in our first year in Nitzavim, right? In the, in the famous Parsha Tachuva at the end of Dvarim. You also see that kind right. of thing, right? If you go in there, there's this notion of God being willing to accept Tshuva. But even before that, there's this idea of kind of, will you just turn around? And if you will, you could build on that. 
and look at all the things you could build on just that willingness to turn around for people who are interested maybe we can put that in the notes underneath the video the our our first years need seven vayelach and azinu videos i think we're built up on that uh, you with me ami I, I am i am yeah i'm 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 taking it in you know the the one thing i would i would say is i haven't thought about this so much as a a kind of counterfactual telling by Chazal. This is like a new a new layer for me to, to kind of absorb. But the way that I've been thinking about it till now, and this is also some of our listeners, you know, that have been asking us, how does this relate to how, how we pray? And, and you spoke a bit about that. If I were to speak about how I've been relating to this from my own perspective, it's it's been more of a sense of the earliest stories in the Torah are not only telling us a kind of ancient history and chronology of what did the first human beings experience? How do they relate to God? But I think it's also pointing to what are some of the most fundamental points of relationship between us and our creator, between us as human beings and our creator. I didn't eat from the tree of knowledge, but in a sense, I am, and all of us are, living in a world post-eating from the tree. We are all, Mm -hmm. you know, here we are walking around all day thinking that we know what's right and wrong, believing <laughs> believing ourselves um, and letting our, our minds and capabilities lead us to wherever they lead us. And and here, you know, we raise this question, why is this the bracha we begin with? And I and I think that we begin with not only this bracha vatachonin, but then chuvan slicha, because we're going back to the very in a sense, elemental beginning points of how do I stand and relate to my Creator. Number one, if I were to say what Atachonin Ladamdad is in one sentence, it's recognizing that God is the Creator and not me, and being willing to be God's creature and receive kind of guidance from, from that fundamental relationship. Bracha number two, then, is saying, acknowledging that this is the core of my relationship with God, I'm willing to to face up and just stand in that kind of vulnerable stance and say, you know, here I am with all of my all of my flaws, all of my missed opportunities. I'm willing to engage in this relationship in a proper and appropriate way. And then the next bracha, I'm going to show you by even just naming and speaking out the places where I've where I've come up short. So mm-hmm. so for me, in a sense, these opening brachot, it's like it's like a reorientation every single time we daven to return to to the basic way that I that I face God. And this seems to me to be ultimately very important before, you know, we ask, you'd think, ask for the things you want in the Bakashot. Ask for money, ask for a promotion, ask for, for health, ask for your, your kid to pass their uh, exam this week, whatever it is. No, before I go off asking for those things that I think are the things that I want and the way that I want them, I got to gotta check myself and see where am I? standing vis-a-vis God. And, and I got to go back to, to really the fundamentals of this relationship and, and work to, to be clear on those fronts before I jump into talking about other things. Okay, so I'm not sure if this is what you're saying or not, but I think it might be. If not, it's what's inspiring your words in, in my mind to say. It's that, it's that it feels to me like there's almost a macrocosmic man and a microcosmic man. We all are, as you say, descendants. Uh, we, we find ourselves, whether or not we chose to be children of Adam and Eve, we live with the history of having been thrust upon us as 
living outside the garden because of this thing that our ancestors did, right? And that, and therefore, it's all in the family, this stuff, and we have to confront it in order to do right by God somehow. And even though I, in my own little world, may not be big enough to rectify the macrocosmic trajectory of all of mankind that was set in place by Adam and Eve. But I, in my own life, have to go back there and somehow have to trace through the early history of us as a species. If I'm going to ask God for something, I've got to go back to the beginning of the relationship. And what better way to start asking God for something than to say, God, could we put our relationship on more solid ground? Mm. Like, if I could just look at you from the beginning Mm. as the one who would have given me dot, if I could look at you as the beginning as the one who would have accepted me turning around, if I would have looked at you at the beginning as the one who could accept a true apology from me, what kind of ground does that put our relationship in? A much stronger place Mm -hmm. that's such that whatever I then ask of you, our relationship is more powerful because I know these three things about you. Mm-hmm. And so it's even on a day that you dive in, that you wake up and you say, you know, I can't think of any major sins that I did in the last 24 hours that I need to ask forgiveness for. But maybe that's not always the point. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the reorienting myself as to who are you, God? Mm-hmm. In other words, what are these blessings? These blessings fundamentally are about not are an acknowledgement of who God is. All three blessings. Look what the blessing is. Baruch atah Hashem chonein hadat. Blessed are you, God. You are the giver of knowledge. Who are you in the second blessing? Harotzeh b'tshuva. You are the one who would accept someone turning around. Who are you in blessing number three? Chanun hamarbeli sloach. The one who gives knowledge, who is gracious in providing slicha. And therefore, it's not even just about finding forgiveness for all of our sins. It is, right, if it has to be. But it's more than that and deeper than that. I'm centering myself as an understanding of who God is every morning. And with that kind of understanding, sort of putting my relationship with him in a more healthful framework, Mm -hmm. right, so that the questions I ask have a different framework. Because Ami if I view God differently, if I view God as the jealous God who is guarding his knowledge, who never wanted to give that from me, if I view God as the God from who I would have to hide because he can never accept anything that I did wrong, if I view God as the God that I have no hope of apologizing, and my only thing I could ever do is blame everybody around me, right? And that was the God that I was locked in a relationship in. Then when I had to ask something of that God, right? What kind of ask is it when I ask him for health, when I ask him for my kid to do better, right? It's a very desperate ask. It's a whiny kind of ask. It's it's an ask where there's... It would be hard to believe there, it, too. It would be hard to believe that God wants to help me. Yes. And it's like, why should I even bother? It doesn't feel like there's a loving God here that mm-hmm. I could really ask these for. So what do I have to do? Bribe God to make this happen? What it, it, it changes what it means to ask God. So it's almost like in these three blessings, we center ourselves with an understanding of who the God we are standing before us is. 
right? As though it's not just the first three blessings of Shemot Esrei, which we have not yet talked about, which help us center ourselves in who God is. What I see mm-hmm. from your analysis, in a way, is that no, the first three blessings of Bakashot, the first three blessings of our asking is not even just our asking. It's also coming to understand who we are asking from and putting ourselves in a position to be able to ask for more things. I remember, Ami, when I was a kid, they used to teach me that the reason why we begin with these blessings is because we have to get rid of our sins and we have to expiate our sins before we're in a position to ask God of anything. Mm-hmm. But I would think that that's not really the point, right? It's not that we need to get rid of our sins. If anything, God is willing to accept us as sin. It's the other way around. It's that we have to understand that sin is not fatal mm-hmm. before we can properly ask for things. Mm-hmm. And that is the understanding that we get to. And we turn to a God that we can actually rebuild a relationship with and say we want to rebuild that relationship with you. And that's the God that we are asking things. It's not that we have to to make sin disappear through this magic device known as slicha. It's that we have to come to an understand, uh, to understand something about the benevolence of the being that we're talking to. And I would say that it's kind of striking both at the same time, that as we are talking about these things in this framework, we are doing that work of tshuva and asking slicha, and we're doing the work of rep- of restoring the relationship in turning to God in this way. Yes, yes, I would say that true. Okay, Ami, I think we should wrap up our, our session three here. I will say just as a teaser for session four, um, I'm going to continue playing your skeptical neighbor Great. as you go to uh, <laughs> through, uh, through dot number four and see where this takes your theory, because I think dot number four will help us define your theory better. It's mm-hmm. not just going to yeah. ratify it, but help us define the nature of it. We're beginning to see some of its complexion coming into shape. But I must say that if I'm still, as your neighbor, asking, so what is Ami's theory? I still don't really know. I know the first three dots on the theory, mm-hmm. but it's a mystery as to exactly how this all comes together. We need to see more dots, which we will. So we'll get to that in our next series. And Ami, if we can, I'd also like to get to, I mentioned obliquely that there was another layer that I saw uh, just as you were reading in blessing number two, mm-hmm. and I'm just itching for a chance to share that with you and to share it with our readers too. I'm not going to do it now because we've used a lot of time so far, uh, but I would invite our readers um, to puzzle along with this and to ask yourself, what do you see in this blessing? Blessing two, look at this language again. One of the puzzles that Ami, you and I have not yet talked about is what Torah is doing there. Mm-hmm. If it's really true that we're going back to Eden, that predates mm-hmm. the Torah, doesn't it? So how come mm-hmm. there's this notion of return to Torah? How does that fit in with your theory? I think this layer helps understand it. Ask yourself, what Torah would there have been in Eden? And specifically, think about the verbs here in terms of Eden. The verbs like Malkenu Lavadotecha, your service. What does service remind you of back in Eden? Right, And think about the, this other notion of what a return to Torah would mean in terms of Eden. Uh, what exactly are we asking for in the language of Eden? And I think that another there's another layer here that's asking to be uncovered as well. Um, so I want to at least just 
briefly touch on that when we come back together and I hold it as a puzzle to our readers uh, if they can anticipate where any of that is going. And I look forward, Ami, to getting together with you again and uh, continuing the journey as your skeptical neighbor. I've gone from Ami is crazy to, I don't know, maybe there's something here, right? You've you've even gone so far to say, hmm, I have some of my own ideas about that. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, exactly. So skeptical neighbor is now intrigued neighbor, right? But not convinced neighbor, right? You got to show me more. I'm not convinced yet either neighbor. So that's right. We have more to to explore here. All right. We'll have more to explore. Thank you very much again. Thanks, guys, for all your wonderful comments. Please keep commenting. You can even comment on what you've heard. You can comment on my speculation as bracha number two. You can comment on where you think the next blessings are going in steps four, five, or six, and what trajectory you see unfolding here. We look forward, both of us, me and Ami, to reading what you have to say and to seeing you next week. We'll see you then. Take care, everyone.